So it is a blessing to be a part of a congregation like this, um, to be able to preach to you on a weekly basis, to work with godly men and women in the body who uh, love the Lord Jesus Christ deeply, um, a church that loves the Lord and uh, loves Christ and lives his mission. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Lamentations. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that that was in the Bible. And that is, uh, that is okay. It is probably one of the most often overlooked books. I think my mom even sent me a text this morning. I read through Lamentations. It's kind of depressing. But uh, I did read through it this morning. Um, it, 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 is, it is not um, the, the best uh, book if you're, if you're trying to um, find joy in the moment, but it's a real book. And um, it, it's, it's real to us as human beings who live in a fallen world. And um, when we think about what's happened to our, us in our life, we know that we have experienced pain. Some of us, deep pain in our life. And um, this book really gives the reality that we as believers experience pain and suffering. I've entitled the sermon, Life is Hard and God is Good. And those, how can those two things be true at the, the same time? And it, it's a question that comes about on the pages of these words and lamentations during one of the most troubling times in the history of God's people. The, the book actually recounts the horrific and painful aftermath of the devastation of God's people in his city, Jerusalem. We're actually in a series, Christ and All of Scripture, in which we're taking each book of the Bible and trying to find um, a, a, a passage which summarizes the book but also points us to God's hope of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Lamentations right in the middle does that as all of the books of the Bible have. But as we've been working our way through the Old Testament, we know that um, the Babylonians came and they came upon Jerusalem because of the wickedness of God's people, their idolatry, their adulterousness against the one true holy God. They have been worshiping other gods. And the, the city is completely destroyed. And Jeremiah actually recounts this in his book, Jeremiah. Think about this as maybe a nuclear bomb going off in your city and you're trying to recount or describe the hurt and the pain and the loss. 
And that's what Jeremiah is doing in the book of Lamentations. But not only is the city destroyed, all hope seems to be lost. There's no king to sit on the throne in the line of David. There's no temple where the presence of God dwells among his people. There's no festivals. There's no celebration. There's no sacrifices. There's no singing in the assembly. Where is the Lord God Almighty? Some, some of you may have encountered deep loss in the past few years. Maybe, maybe even your health or the health of a loved one, the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a spiritual loss, a church member or someone that you loved is not walking with the Lord currently. You're wrestling with how life can be so hard and God be good. And Jeremiah, which we would know as the weeping prophet, is wrestling with this idea as well in the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is interesting in its structure. The first four chapters is an acrostic, meaning it begins with each verse begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So in chapter 1 of verse 1, the verse begins with the first word as the first letter of the alphabet, Aleph. And the second verse would begin with the second word of the alphabet in the Hebrew, Bet. Obviously, it doesn't show up in your, in your English translations, but each chapter is structured in this way. Chapter 3 has 66 verses, and the alphabet is, is done three times, over and over and over again, 22 um, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So... What is this structure trying to tell us? I, th- I believe even in the structure of the book, God is telling his people something. In the rigorous structure, God is saying what seems chaotic and meaningless is not. Even in painful suffering, God has brought order. There is order in what seems to be Chaos. Think of a lake that has a huge dam high above a city and filled with water. And when it's released, it flows down the riverbed and makes a river that is channeled and cut. It is contained. It is going somewhere. It's not like a flood flooding the city and its crops, but it's moving towards a destination and is meaningful. And just as in the pain of losing God's city is hard, Jeremiah knows that while he laments, he knows that God is still in control. There are boundaries to the pain and suffering. Jeremiah understands in the scriptures that we are about to read that life is hard and God is good can be true. And he clings to that hope just as we cling to that hope. And our verses for the year, it's interesting, our verse for the year 
describes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Life is hard and God is good. Let's look together at the scriptures as Jeremiah wrestles with this and comes to this conclusion. Hopefully we will come to that conclusion this morning. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read from Lamentations chapter 3 verse 19. It's after the book of Jeremiah, before the book of Ezekiel. If you can't find it, it's okay. It's on the screen behind us. Lamentations 3.19 says this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He's coming, amen? Amen. You can be seated this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we seek your word and seek your truth, that we would be comforted in our hearts and our spirits for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, because we wait for your salvation. Father, we praise you that your mercies are new every morning, that the darkness will not last, and we trust in the faithfulness of our God. Father, we don't want to discount the grief and the lament that our people face, that we as the church faces, that maybe some of us in this room face this morning, but we know that our God is King, is Lord, is in control, and great is His faithfulness. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On December 5th, 1914, an expedition was set out to sail the edge, to the edge of Antarctica. How many, how many in this room have ever been to Antarctica? Somebody back here? You've been? No? No? I saw a hand up. I thought maybe somebody had been to Antarctica. I think that's on my bucket list. I think I'd like to go to Antarctica visit all seven continents. That would be fun. Well, 1914, probably not, but they set out on an expedition to make the 1,800-mile journey on foot across the continent through the South Pole. 27 men 
plus one stowaway, 69 dogs, and a tomcat named Mrs. Chippy, all right? The plan was to get to land, sailing through the icy seas, and then have someone go from the other side to meet them in the middle, to have enough food and supplies for the second half of their journey. The only problem was the ship got stuck in the ice. And like an almond in chocolate, it was not coming out, okay? So facing sub-zero temperatures, all sorts of trials and tribulations, the sailors in what is now called the ship Endurance floated on the ice for over a year finally seeing land and taking the lifeboats and rowing they rowed to what is called Elephant Island but the sailors said the worst part of the journey was not the sub-zero temperatures it wasn't that their supplies were running low it wasn't that they were they were scared that they were never going to see land They said the worst part of the journey was the darkness. In Antarctica, the sun in winter rises only a few hours. And for a few week period in the winter, the sun does not even rise. Complete darkness for days. Praise God, our God brings the morning. Amen? Jeremiah finds himself looking as if he is in the South Pole. No light. He finds himself surrounded by darkness, but remembers something. The morning is coming. God has given even the the thought of darkness and light, evening and morning, to remind us of the hope that we have in our Creator. The one who does not forget his people. Why? Because the light of day is coming. Your God has not forgotten you, church. You may be walking in darkness or depression, yet we are reminded that morning is coming every single day and his mercies are new every morning. Amen? God is faithful just as the morning comes. God Great is his faithfulness. Amidst the darkness, God is bringing light. His steadfast love never ceases. You know, even in the New Testament, there's this theme of light and darkness. John talks about light and darkness. But Luke recounts it, I think, the best. When the whole land went dark in the middle of the day. And you know when this was, it was when Jesus was on the cross. The darkness came upon the earth. Let me read it for you, Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 
on the cross, can you imagine on the cross being there, complete darkness, but God's light is coming, amen? Even amidst the darkness, God brings forth light. May we not forget life is hard and God is good. Verse 19 says this, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Some translations is bowed down, use the word depressed. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. This is our first point this morning. The people of God grieve as those with hope. Amen? The people of God grieve as those with hope. Jeremiah is saying, remember my sufferings. Remember my affliction. Remember my wanderings. Remember where I have been. The the bitterness, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness of life within me. My soul is remember it and I am depressed because of it. And he's crying out to the Lord, his God. This is what we call a lament, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's called lamentations, right? Crying out to God of what is real in our hearts and our minds. We are saying, this is painful. This hurts. This is how I feel Jeremiah confesses his pain and suffering. Let me walk through you chapter 3 really fast because I want you to hear his heart. Before he draws to the conclusion that he has hope, he laments all of his pain and suffering. Number, verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. What's he saying? Jeremiah is saying that God is his enemy. The prophet Jeremiah is telling us, according to his word, that God is his enemy. That God has brought this upon his life. Look, continue to read with me. Verse 7. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Not only is he saying that God is my enemy, but then he says, God is my prison warden who does not hear me. Does this make you a little bit uneasy reading the scriptures? Should. Number 10, look what he says. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lying in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. What is he saying? God is a bear, wild animal who is after me. He is against me. 
Verse 12, he has bent his bow, set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into to my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become a, the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. So not, as, not only is God as his enemy, God is his prison warden, is not listening to him. He compares God as a wild animal who's after him, a hunter or a warrior who is after him. In verse 15, he has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Church, he's lost all hope. He's depressed. All right, let's pray. We're going home. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. It was a joke. We need to lighten the mood. These, this is Jeremiah's lament to God. This is how he feels. These are his feelings. This is his real experience. And he's expressing these to God. You may be thinking, man... Should he be saying these things in Scripture? Should he be, I mean, should these actually be in the Bible? I mean, shouldn't he be saying something a bit, a bit more positive and encouraging? Hey, Jeremiah, come back tomorrow. I'll write something a bit of different. It's kind of hurting my vibes, vibes a little bit, don't you think? Not sure Lamentations is going to be on the bestseller list for the most read book of the Bible. But Jeremiah was tasked with telling the people that the judgment of God was coming to Jerusalem. And no one believed him. And his own own people threw him in jail, not just in jail, they threw him into a mud pit. And so he's in this mud pit up to his armpits. And from this place of deep sorrow and pain, Guess what? He finds hope. God has placed this book in in the midst of the Bible so you who are walking in suffering say, yes, my God understands me. He understands the cloud that surrounds me. Jeremiah is completely honest Laments are honest. God is the best counselor. Is he not? I am a firm believer in biblical counseling. I know that sometimes we need to talk to someone and we need hope. But God is our best counselor. And we need to share our pain and our sufferings. You know what? God can hear it. Go into your closet. Yell it out. Cry it out. Trust me. Our God can handle it. But in the midst of declaring your feelings, what you feel like God is doing to you, you must remember We are people who have hope. In all of this, 
Jeremiah has declared, whether it's true or whether it's not, this is how he feels. And he's declaring that to the Lord, and then he declares, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Praise God for the hope that we have in our God. What does it mean, Jeremiah calls to mind? It means he's placed the truth of God's word into the deep, dark recesses of his heart and it comes out. He recalls it to mind. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this preaching to yourself. He says this, there is a sense in which the primary task of scriptures is to teach us how to talk to ourself. You see, often our feelings will lie to us. We must speak the truth to ourselves. This is what Jeremiah is doing. This is how he feels at the beginning of chapter 3, but he's about to speak truth to himself and to us. Even though... I feel as God is against me, I know something. I know that my God is faithful. Amen? This is grieving as ones with hope. Amidst the pain and the suffering, reminds ourselves that we need the goodness of God. Let's look at verse 22. Now we get into the good part. So if you... If you have only been with us for the bad part, now you got the good part. So if you, most people quote Lamentations, right? They quote these two or three verses here, but they don't read the whole book. It's really hard, but God is good. Look at verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. I will hope in him. Point number two, in suffering, remember the steadfast love of the Lord. In suffering and in grief, remember the steadfast love of the Lord. That word, that steadfast love is seen throughout the scriptures, I think, Almost every, um, every book which we have preached, which has been the centerpiece of the book, has declared the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen? That is God's covenantal love, His faithful love. The Hebrew term is hesed. It's a beautiful term of God is faithful even when His people are not faithful. God is faithful. That's what he is clinging to. Even though the city is destroyed, even though we are a wicked people and deserving of the judgment of God, I will cling to the steadfast love of the Lord. He is faithful even when I am unfaithful. Church, this is what we cling to when we, when we are, feel guilty or ashamed of our sin. Not because we are repentant and we walk forward because we are good. No, we cling to the steadfast love of God. 
We have seen this over and over again. It's not on the basis of how good we are, how good we have been, or how good we will be, but on the, on the basis of how our God loves us and his faithfulness. It was God's steadfast love in the Garden of Eden that declared one would come from the seed of woman to crush the head of the serpent. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, it was God's steadfast love that saved Noah, even though he was grieved at the creation of man and their sinfulness. It was God's steadfast love that brought about the rainbow, signifying his grace will endure. It was his steadfast love that brought about one nation out of the Tower of Babel that would bless all the nations through Abraham and his offspring. It was his steadfast love that brought this nation out of slavery in Egypt. It was his steadfast love that caused the nation to continue It was his steadfast love that continued to pursue Israel even in their idolatry just as Hosea pursued an adulterous Gomer. It was his steadfast love that brought about a king who would have a a heart after the Lord, King David. And it was a result of his steadfast love that he promised that the son of David would come and his kingdom would have no end. It was his steadfast love that brought about a remnant from the ends of the earth to rebuild this city in which Jeremiah is talking about, in which he placed God's name in the days of Nehemiah in which they rebuilt the city. It was because of his steadfast love that God brought about the King of kings and the Lord of lords to take upon himself flesh and to dwell among men, to become a servant. And not just any servant, but a suffering servant who would give his life. It was the steadfast love of God that would bring Christ, but not only bring Christ, but place him on a cross, bringing about salvation To those who believe upon him, it was the steadfast love of God all the way through the book. So yeah, you can take it to the bank. That the steadfast love of God, it never ceases. You see, when we we read this Bible, we often go, man, look at Israel. Look how bad they were. Look how they rejected God. Look at how God did this, and yet the next minute they're doing their own thing. No, we're to read the Bible and go, man, what a a loving God that continued to interact with his people, that continued to save them that would love them so much that he would send Jesus to die on the cross. Look at me and how much God loved me. Jeremiah understands that God is a just God. He will by no means clear the guilty and yet his heart is for me. Do you know that grieving is actually an essential part of the Christian life? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief 
produces a repentance that leads to salvation with, without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces a repentance. Grieving correctly, understanding that God must punish sin, that there is brokenness in this world because of sin, that I need to repent, but yet God is for me and loves me through the cross of Christ. That is what leads to salvation. But worldly grief, a pain and suffering that is against God, that has no hope, leads to what? Leads to death. All people on this earth are grieving, except Christians grieve with hope, and non-Christians are against God. They raise their fist against God and say, it's because of God this has happened. And yet, the scripture is trying to tell us, no, God loves us, and this is how he has shown his love for us all the way through the scriptures leading to the cross. Always knowing that his mercies are new every morning. Amen? You see, the hardest thing to do in the current culture is declare to someone that they are guilty of sinning against a holy God, yet his mercies are new every morning. It's a, it's a paradox. You're a sinner, but God has mercy for you. How does that come together? It comes together through the cross of Christ. It comes together that he laid down his life so that you can have life. Grieve over your sin, repent, and turn to the way of God, which is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the way that we trust in God's faithfulness. Portion is a word that the Jews used to refer to their allotment of land, their inheritance passed down in a family from generation to generation. But Jeremiah here is saying, I have nothing. God is all that I have. The Lord is my portion. Jeremiah is saying, God is everything that I have. You see, the Levites and the priests were not given land. And this is what it says in Numbers 18, 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, who is, who is the, the first of the priestly line, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. That's that word portion. I am your portion. And your inheritance among the people of Israel. And Jeremiah is saying, I have nothing. The Lord is my portion. He is all that I need. When you get to the point of saying, God is enough for me, you know that you have trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. When you are grieving and you're saying, God is enough, that is all that I need, you know that you can rest in the faithfulness of your God. Declare, church, that the Lord is enough for you this morning. 
and your lament unto the Lord for all the things that you have lost, declare that the truth that God is enough. Therefore, I will hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is point number three this morning. We wait for the salvation of the Lord. We wait for the salvation of the Lord. The people of God grieve as those with hope in suffering. Remember the steadfast love of the Lord. And we as the people of God must wait for the salvation of the Lord. And we do that in faith. Do you know how long Moses was in the wilderness? After having a heart to deliver God's people from the burdens, after he killed the Egyptian He waited 40 years in the wilderness. Do you know how long Paul, after he was miraculously saved and God said, I will send you to the Gentiles, do you know how long he waited for God to send him through the Spirit from the church in Antioch? It was 17 years minimum. Do you know how long David waited after he was anointed king by Samuel until he actually became the king? Seven years he waited. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite ones, right? Like Samuel comes and says, you are going to be king. He anoints him with oil. You think the band is going to play. You think the parade is going to happen. Hey, go put on your royal robes and your crown. You're king. No, go, go back to the, to the sheep and, and herd them. Go back to the pasture, young man. Wait seven years. You have tribulation, trial, pain, suffering all along the way until you become king. What we do in the white space of our lives, the waiting of the Lord, is often under overlooked. What will you do as you wait upon the Lord in the midst of your grief, your pain, and your suffering? You know, God, oftentimes we we say, well, we'll just, everything will be all right in heaven, right? We'll just wait until we get to heaven. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, all joy. But David actually believed that God cared about his life now. And I, I believe that too. David says in Psalm 27, 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he, then he says this, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Church, if you are going through pain and suffering and, 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 and difficulties in your life, wait for the Lord. Wait for his salvation. Trust in the promises of God. That he is faithful and just. That he sees you in your suffering. Sometimes we don't know what to do as we wait, right? And I would say cry out to 
to the Lord God Almighty. I love the story of King Jehoshaphat. We'll, we'll close with this. The story of King Jehoshaphat is he sees this vast army. He gets word from his scouts. Look, this army is covering the land and they're filled with Ammonites, Moabites, the people of Seir. And you can't stop it, King Jehoshaphat. It's too big. You can't stop the army. And the king and, and all the people are, are, are nervous, they're anxious, they don't know what to do. You can, you can see them panicking as they're about to be destroyed. And King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, 12 says this, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. So he's lamenting. Lord, we are powerless against these people. We, and then he says these words, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen? Amen. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So he begins to go through the ranks of his army. And he begins to say, believe in your God and you will succeed. Believe in, in his word through the prophets and you will succeed. This is what the king is saying to his army. And then he calls the people to sing, and the whole army begins to sing. And this is what they sing. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Church, if you don't know what to sing today because you're, you're, you're suffering and you're lamenting and you're depressed and you can't get out of the darkness, sing the steadfast love of God. I do not know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you and I'm going to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And as they sing, the three armies that are against the Israelites turn on one another. And they destroy one another. And when the scouts go to look at the camp, there's nothing left but dead bodies as they've destroyed one another. God has brought upon his people, his salvation. So, in honor of King Jehoshaphat, I wrote a song. I'm going to share it with you. My first song to ever write. David, David Cottle said I needed to share it with you. I shared it with him, but he said I needed to share it with you, so I'm sharing it with you. It's called the never-ceasing love of God. God's promises are true. His mercy is new. His faithfulness is sure. God of creation, there is none like you. Even in the darkness, I will cry out. Even in the pain, I will hope. Only to you do I run. 
Only in you do I find rest. For the morning is coming. I will wait. I will wait for you. For your steadfast love never ceases. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I have hope in the steadfast love of God. Life is hard and God is good. We're gonna, respo- we're gonna respond to the word this morning a little bit differently than we have in the past. We're gonna respond to the Lord in prayer. This is gonna be a time of prayer in which God has called you to maybe lament unto the Lord. To speak truth about where you're at in your life. To speak truth about your pain and your suffering that maybe you have suppressed for a long time. And finding hope in the steadfast love of God. So as the worship team is about to to play, we're going to respond in each of our individual ways unto the Lord God Almighty. The altar is going to be open for prayer. If you need prayer of someone else, you can talk to someone in your row or you can come and pray with one of our pastors. But the altar is open to be honest with our God and to remind ourselves that we do have hope. So I hope you use this time for you and your family to respond to the word that life is hard and God is still good. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would use this time in our hearts and minds to respond to your truth of your word. As we as, we as a body know that um, we have suffered a lot these last few years. There's a lot of pain in this room heartache, a lot of dreams that were shattered, a lot of things that haven't happened the way that we wanted them to. And yet we collectively as the body of Christ here at Northwest come to you knowing even in our pain and suffering that there is hope. That our God sees us in our pain and suffering And he loves us. There's some of us in this room this this morning that do not know what to do. And we need to sing a song of your faithfulness. And thus, our heart needs to sing with our mind and our body what we know to be true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll